Friends, this morning we are starting a brand new sermon series on a topic that I think is very important and very timely. And it's called FAM, and we're going to talk over the next four weeks all the ins and outs of family life and family dynamics that we all, in some way, shape, or form, experience. And I want to be honest with you, as we start this brand new series, there was a part of me that didn't want to do it. Because as important as this topic is, I know that at some point, already beginning today, God is going to come at us today with words that are going to spark difficult discussions that we must have. And I also understand that, that the next thing after that is there's going to be some times that we might examine our own family lives, and we're not always going to like what we see, and there's going to be some moments where God's going to call us to repent, to stop and change and, and turn back to him for forgiveness, help, and life. And that's not always fun or easy. Another reason I'm a little nervous to start this series on all things about the family is that I want to understand and recognize, and I know that all of our families, whether you're here in person or you're watching online, we look different, we might think a little differently, we, we might act a little differently, and, and, and that's going to make this maybe a little more challenging to navigate. All right, we have two-parent households with kids living in it, and we have single-parent households. We have empty nesters and people who just had their first child. We have single people and people who have been married for 50 plus years. We have people who came from healthy, happy homes and ones that came from dysfunctional homes and they couldn't wait to get out of there to escape the dysfunction. And that's just the reality of family life this side of heaven. So, so we need to think about it. We need to address it. And I want to be cognizant of that. But, but through it all, there's one thing I do know for sure as we start. There is no such thing as the ideal, picture-perfect family. No matter what we might see on those Instagram posts, no matter what might be hanging on our wall, that portrait over the mantle, no such thing as the perfect, picture-perfect, ideal family. And I'm going to show that to you real quick. That's a picture of my family. That was taken, I don't know what, 10 days ago when we were getting a little R&R in the mountains of North Carolina, right? Everybody's smiling. The waterfall's beautiful. We had a great time. And I even posted this on my social media. But here's what you never see when you see the picture and when you see the posts. What you don't see, you see a smiling, happy family, but what you don't see is that two those two brothers. <laughs> right after this, they were getting on each other's nerves and fighting because we had to hike again, or they're getting on each other's nerves as they're poking each other and messing with each other in the back of the car. You don't see that in the picture, though. <laughs> you know what else you don't see? You don't see this flawed husband and wife combo getting into a stupid argument over something stupid like where we're going to go for dinner that night because we couldn't agree because there's just too many options when you Google it. See, the problem with the pictures is you don't always get the backstory. You don't see the bigger 
picture of what's going on, right? A couple more pictures I want to show you this morning. They're from our, our graphic for this sermon series, right? Looks like a happy, smiling family with a young child, but what you don't see in the picture is that she just served in papers and is ready to walk. Or a nice elderly couple snuggling on a bench. What you don't know is they just found out that she has Alzheimer's and her time is getting short on this earth. Or this one, right, it kind of looks like a, maybe a newlywed couple, but, but what the picture doesn't show is that they're devastated because they just got the news that they will never be able to conceive children on their own. Or finally this one, a mom kissing her daughter. That's cute, right? That's going to get a lot of likes on Instagram, but, but what you don't see is that baby daddy left and left her to raise this daughter on her own. Right? Pictures can be deceiving. The pictures we take, the pictures we post, we all try to, to manipulate so it looks like the picture-perfect ideal family, but we all know those pictures don't tell the whole story and the true story. And so, over the next four weeks, we're going to look at the fam as we turn to God's word. And we're going to look and see what, what does God say about the family and how he, we are to live our lives between the Instagram posts, or if you're old school, the pictures on your wall. And first up, we want to talk about this concept of the ideal picture-perfect family, because, because we have this problem in society, right? Maybe social media drives, and I'm not saying it's all bad. I do social media too, but right, we, we put these pictures up and portray the image that we want people to see and think, but it's really not reality. Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, Pastor, now's the time you're going to bust out the Bible. You're going to give us a couple of examples from Scripture and show us what the ideal family looks like so we can model it, so we can emulate it, and we can be just like them. And here's your three-step process to the ideal family, and we're good. If that's what you're hoping, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but you came to the wrong place. Because that family in the Bible doesn't exist. All we have to do is turn to that first family in Genesis, and we quickly see that, right? God creates Adam and Eve. He brings them together in marriage. Life is good. And at that moment, for just a moment, they are that picture-perfect ideal family that God brought together. But not even a full chapter later, you know what happens? It all goes to hell in a handbag, literally, to hell. When the devil strikes, Adam and Eve rebel against God, and that once happy couple are now going to live a life of hardship and frustration and bickering and fighting. And we see that even immediately when they start playing the blame game. Well, you, no, 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 it's you. And family life was destroyed. And then... Adam and Eve, that first family, they, they have their first kids, or at least the ones that Scripture tells us they had, right? And, and almost immediately, there's sibling rivalry. There's jealousy. There's resentment. So much that it comes to a head when Cain takes a weapon and kills his own brother. So if you're looking for the ideal family, <laughs> I don't recommend looking at Scripture. 
that very first family, there's jealousy, there's anger, there's finger pointing, there's blaming, there's resentment, there's an estranged family because of sin. It's not ideal in any way, shape, or form. And that's just the start. <laughs> right? A couple more chapters in the first book of the Bible, and you meet a guy named Abraham. You ever heard of him? Abraham and many sons, right? He's the father of many nations. But do you know that Abraham was an adulterer? He slept with Hagar, who wasn't his wife, to conceive a child that he wanted as an heir because he didn't fully trust that God was going to give him one. And then, after that adultery turned into a son named Ishmael, there was family dynamics and fighting and, and then eventually separation. If you're still not convinced, a couple more chapters later, you got Abraham, who has a son named Isaac, who has a son named Jacob. Jacob has a bunch of kids, but it starts out by marrying a woman named Leah. He's tricked by his uncle. That was never the intent. He, he feels like he's duped. He works another seven years, marries the other daughter that he wanted all along, Rachel. And that brought tension with two wives. I can't even imagine that. That was not good. It wasn't part of God's plan. And then on top of it, he had a bunch of kids, and the ones that he had with Rachel... Daddy played favorites. He was not a partial, objective father. Dad played favorites, and you know what it got Joseph? His brothers hated him. And you know what his own brothers did? First, let's kill him. No, 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 that's too easy. Let's sell him to some human traffickers so we can make a buck. And that's what they do with Joseph. He gets sold into slavery. And still not convinced, I'll give you one more. King David. Whew. David couldn't keep his eyes or his hands to himself. He had access to so many other blessings, but he sees this woman bathing. He's overcome with lust, and he's got to have her. He finds out she's got a husband. It's no matter to me. I'm the king. And David does what David wanted, and he sleeps with her. And then he's like, oh, great. This is not going to look good, right? This is a scandal. This is going to be all over the tabloids. i got to put, keep it under wraps. And so David premeditates and plots her husband's murder. So he can still look good. You will not find the picture-perfect, ideal family in the Bible. And guess where else you won't find it? Here at Ascension. Your families, my family, are less than perfect. We all are a part of and come from families where spouses bicker and fight and have issues. Where kids sometimes rebel and push back against parents' authority. Some of us come from families who have been torn apart by divorce or addiction or something someone said or did and that grudge turned into years of that sibling not talking to the other. We don't have the perfect family either. None of us. No matter what your background, no matter where you come from, whether it was super good and healthy, you still had your issues, or you came from a super dysfunctional family, there's no such thing as the ideal, picture-perfect family. It doesn't exist here. It doesn't exist in the Bible. But you know what God does give us? God gives us this blueprint 
of how he desires family life to be. A, a blueprint that he says, I give it to you as a blessing because if you follow it, it, you'll be blessed and family will be a source of joy and not a source of pain and frustration. And so as we look at Colossians, that's what we're going to do today. We're, we're going to go through four different roles in the family. But before we do that, I, I want to give you a disclaimer. Before Jesus laid out this blueprint for the family, you need to understand something. It was weird, it was strange, it was countercultural 2,000 years ago. But as Christians, sometimes we're called to be countercultural, and the way we live and the way we act is completely different than the culture out there. Well, it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus talked about this. For example, we're going to be looking at the role of wives in the family. And in Jesus' day, Women really had no power, no authority, no status whatsoever. All right, they couldn't vote. They, they couldn't really get involved in finances, in property, in business. Now, there was a small few. If you came from privilege, if you came from royalty, maybe you had a little more influence than the commoner, but for the most part, women were by and large considered second-class citizens, and if you were even second-class, you were doing probably pretty good. Kids, you didn't fare any better, right? You, you think abortion or trafficking or abandonment are issues of our day. They were just as much, if not even more so back then in ancient Greece and in ancient Roman culture. Right? Parents would abort or abandon kids simply because, well, the kid wasn't the right gender, right? In that society, you wanted that firstborn male. If it's a girl, we might get rid of you. For most groups, it was not easy, good living back then. And you know what Jesus does with each unit of the family? He loves them, he forgives them, and he elevates them to a status that society then and now will never give. Right? He takes women and he makes them equal in God's sight. Not down here, not below men, but equal in the sight of the Father. And then he takes children, and he does the same for them. In fact, he takes kids, and he puts them on an equal playing field with grown adults. And you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, if you don't have faith like these kids out here, guess what, adults? You will never get into my kingdom. Do you see what Jesus does? He takes the family unit, he elevates them, and he puts everybody on the same playing field, equal status. And he says, it doesn't matter, young or old, men or women, black or white, I don't care. You can be a part of my family through faith in my son. That's what the father says. And that was just as countercultural then as it is today. And so, before, you might want to tune me out in a few minutes thinking that, that what God is saying to us is old or outdated. Maybe we need to listen to Jesus because this is what he intended for our blessing all along. And so let's look at him now. Four unique, distinct roles that Jesus gives us as a blueprint for our family life. Ladies are first. Jesus addresses the wives. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as fit, it is fitting in the Lord. Whew. 
told you, we're going to talk about some hard stuff, right? This is probably my most nervous one because I recognize that some of you ladies out there, this is hard for you because you don't have a man in your life who has treated you well. You've been hurt. You've been abandoned, maybe marginalized, and this, this command from God does not sit well with you. Right? And this command from God doesn't sit well with our society either, right? When we hear that nasty six-letter word, submit, everybody, men and women, right, we're ready to throw up our hands and write, because what do we think? We think of submission as this, less than, below, not as good as, second-class, doormat, right? If that's what you think about this word submit, then, then I would humbly suggest that you've never been taught what that word biblically means, you know what that word means? In the Greek, in, in, in this context, it means to voluntarily, not you must, not you're forced to, not we're going to cram it down your throat, voluntarily yielding yourself and putting yourself under someone else for the greater good. You understand that? How different that is than what we often think? Submission is, you do what I say. Not biblical. Voluntarily Placing yourself under someone else for the greater good. It's also the same word that's used in reference to Jesus. The King of Kings, you, you've heard of him, right? The Lord of Lords. He submitted himself, voluntarily put himself underneath the will of the Father, and he did it for you and your greater good. And so ladies, if you are married, this morning your God is saying, I want you to submit to two people in your life. Number one, Jesus. The guy who loves you, the guy who died for you, who gave up everything for you, submit to him, and then if you're married to your husband. Notice it doesn't say women submit to men in general. He's addressing husbands and wives, okay? And guys, real quick, if you think the word submit means to yell at your wife and tell her, well, God says submit, so you're going to do what I say, it's time to repent and stop. Okay? Number two. Husbands, this is what God says to you. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. In ancient times, when these words were originally written, culturally, men were pretty harsh. Men were harsh with their wives. They were harsh with their children. They were basically harsh with, with just about anybody except maybe other men and themselves because, right, the view was they're up here and everybody else is down here. And then this cat Jesus comes along and he says, no, 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 husbands, I want you to listen to me, not to the culture and world around you, but me. And I say, do not be harsh with your wives. Or in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, Jesus says this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So husbands, and if you're single thinking, well, I'm not married, I don't have to listen. If you're ever going to get married, you know what Jesus says? Guys, love your wives. Don't be harsh with them. 
And don't just say you love them, actually love them. And if you do, that is going to be countercultural. That's not the norm, I know, but I'll help you love them. And so guys, I want to give you something, because as a man, maybe this is closer to me too, but I want to give you two words I want you to memorize. They're going to be really easy to do. And I want you to keep saying that over and over again. So as you deal with your wives, as you interact with your kids, as you deal with people at church or at work or beyond, I want you to remember two words that help remember this biblical principle. I've heard it a long time ago. It stuck with me, and it's these two words, guys. You first. Guys, say it. You. Oh, that's pretty weak. Come on. The ladies are like, yeah, pastor, bring it. You Good. Right? Baby, you first, right? In, in every way. And so when we, this goes back to submission, right? In many ways, isn't the husband called to submit to? Put himself, baby, everything's about you first, and I'm going to voluntarily put you ahead of me for the greater good of our marriage and our family and the family of God. Guys, you first, with your wives, with your kids, with others, just as Jesus looked at you and said, I'll, you first. I'll put you ahead of myself so that I might make you a part of my family. All right, kids. You guys kind of got the easiest one today just because I'm not going to talk a ton about this, but this is what he says to you kids. Are you listening? <laughs> For those of you online, that's where my kids are sitting over there, right? Okay, children, obey your parents in... Everything. Why? For this pleases the Lord. So kids, why do we honor and obey our parents? It's not so they don't take away our switch. It's not so they don't take away the tablet or the keys or ground us for a month. Why do you obey and honor mom and dad? And listen, because it pleases the God who loves you and who saved you. Told you it would be quick, kids. You get off the hook a little bit today. Number four, last one, dads. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Hmm. Now you guys can stare back at me if you want, okay, boys? Um, as a father of two, I have learned over the years that as a man and as a dad, my words carry an awful lot of weight. Did you guys dads know that? That, that your words and your actions, that you have the power to crush your kid's soul and spirit. Physically, that's no-brainer, right? But with your words, you can crush them. Maybe a critical spirit, always putting them down, always getting upset, always yelling at them. You have the ability to destroy your kids. So don't. Right? Discipline is fine, and it's good, and it's godly, but you know what God did with you and me when he disciplined us? He didn't criticize, beat us into a pulp, and put us down. He disciplined us in love for our good. And so dads, careful. Careful. I've talked to a lot of grown kids who have issues with dads now, and a lot of it goes back to critical dads, dads who yelled, dads who weren't always engaged. Don't be that dad. With Jesus' help, be the dad he's called you to be. Be gentle, be kind, be loving, because the goal is not to destroy your kids. It's not to beat them into submission. It's to love them, forgive them, and point them back to Jesus. Simple enough, right? Maybe some of you are thinking, okay, pastor, say amen. All right, well, 
Hus wives, submit. Husbands, do not be harsh. Kids, obey. And dads, don't embitter. Amen, right? Well, some of you that said yes, the problem is that doesn't work, does it? Because I don't know about you guys, but when I look at the ideal family, and then I look at my family, I see that we are nowhere near. And I know that at times, I'm the reason why. I know that I'm not always gentle and loving, and you first to my wife. You can ask her after church. She can validate that truth. And I'm not always the kind, loving father. Sometimes I'm critical. Sometimes I'm, I embitter them, and I discourage them with my words and actions. I know that I am not a part of the ideal family, and neither are you. And I guess there's a couple of things we could do with that truth. We, we can ignore it. We could say we're not going to talk about it because it makes us uncomfortable. And then, and then I have to do what Pastor just did. I have to repent and say I'm the problem. And no one likes that. We could do that. We could justify and say, well, you know what? If she just did what she was supposed to do, right, guys? Then I wouldn't have to be that way. Or if the kids would just listen, then we wouldn't have to be that way. Or we could do what society does. We, we could do those things like they do, or we'll just come up with a new family norm. But none of those things will actually address the dysfunction, the brokenness, and pain in the families that we all live in. Only Jesus can, and only Jesus does. And that's, that's why, Patrick, I know you wanted me to say amen, but we can't yet, because i got to tell you one more thing. Jesus. Because you and I have less than perfect, less than ideal families, that's why Jesus came. You get that? Jesus came to this world to rescue, to forgive, to heal, to restore your unideal, unperfect family. Because Jesus knew the perfect family doesn't exist. And he also knew what you guys don't need is another sermon where someone's going to beat you into submission and, and dump more guilt and judgment on you. He knew you needed an extra measure of his grace and his love and his mercy and forgiveness. And so he gave it in full. He knew that, that his love had to be the foundation and center of your families. Love that made you his own so that we then can show that love for giving love to each other in our own families. And you know what Jesus did to make it happen? He came to this earth and he was born into the less than ideal family. Remember all those biblical stories I told you at the beginning? Murder, sibling rivalries, adultery, selling into slavery, all this stuff? That's Jesus' family. Did you know that? He was born into that family <laughs> so that he could rescue, forgive, restore, and redeem your imperfect family. And he's done it. Because Jesus left the ideal family, the triune God, to come to yours to save all the broken, sinful, less than ideal families out there like yours and mine. And he's done it. Now I want to remind you of this truth. This doesn't mean... You're going to leave here and your families are going to be a okay again. 
It doesn't mean that you're not going to have issues in your marriage that you're going to have to work through, that you're going to have struggles with your kids, uh, that, that siblings aren't going to have rivalries. But Jesus did come to forgive and restore you, and he promises he will. And even though at times it's going to be difficult in your own families, here's the really cool part, and this is what I want to end with today, and you have to hear this. If you've been tuning out, listen to this. You are already a part of the ideal, picture-perfect family. Did you know that? Not the ones you post on your Instagram posts, but it's the family of God because he has washed you of all of your sins through water and the word. He is the one who has, who has adopted you, grafted you into his perfect family. And so now when the father looks at you, you know what he sees? He doesn't see the fight you had with your spouse on the way to church. He doesn't see the two brothers in the back seat being mean and unloving and punching each other. He, he doesn't see the, the families that have been broken because of divorce and addiction and all these other things and the, all the other struggles that we face. He sees a perfect, forgiven blood-bought member of his fam. All because of Jesus. And so as you leave here today, as you go back to your families, whatever you're faced with, it's that love of Christ that now will help motivate and empower us in our own families. To, to live according to that blueprint, because God doesn't give it to us to take the fun out of life. He gives it to us to be a blessing. And it's that love of Jesus that also empowers us now to show that same love and forgiveness to our wives and husbands, to our kids and siblings, to our cousins and aunts and uncles and beyond, that love of Jesus that has saved us. So I pray that this week and beyond, you remember that you are part of God's perfect family because of Jesus, the one who will help you navigate your own. Amen? Amen. Amen. There's your amen. <laughs>